morning, church. It's good to see you all. Would you please join us and stand with us if you're able as we celebrate the unity we have in Christ and how good it is to be here together this morning. Starting in verse 19, it says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And our being here together this morning is the embodiment, it is the living out of this truth. We're here together from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different diversity among us, and yet we're the same in our unity in Christ. Together we have been built into one body, Christ being the head, and it's a work done by the Spirit because of God's graciousness. And that's why we're here to celebrate that this morning. And we are so glad that you all are here with us. We want to extend a special welcome if any of you are visiting with us today. And if you would, as we continue to worship, please pull out the worship folder that hopefully you picked up on your way in the doors. Inside that worship folder, you'll find all sorts of information about the church and what's going on in the calendar. But you'll also see a little check-in card there. And if you would take out that check-in card and just take a moment to fill it out, or you can get on the church app. We have an app that you can download for free, and you can fill out the check-in card there too. And that would just be helpful to let us know that you're here But also, it gives you an opportunity to share prayer requests with us. We love to come alongside you and pray with you throughout the week. And that is just one of the great ways in which we can help shepherd you and make sure that we are caring for your souls. Now, when you're done with that card, at the end of the service, you can stick it in the white table at either entrance. And if you are a visitor with us, we would encourage you to go out these double doors and there's a welcome desk and you can take your card there and they will give you a gift And they can answer any questions you have about the church and where they would just love to meet you. And so before we continue on with our singing and uh, and some of the other super exciting things we have going on in the service today, I'd like you to bow your head with, with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the miraculous, supernatural work that you have done in us, that you have knitted us together despite all of our differences, idiosyncrasies, and backgrounds. You've knitted us together in Christ. You've made us one body. We don't worship in a single location anymore. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to a physical temple. Through the Spirit, all of us together are the temple, your temple, Lord. And that is special, and it is wonderful. And the same love with which you have loved us, we can love each other with. It is a supernatural thing to extend the forgiveness that we've been given to others. And I pray that the, when the world looks at Newcastle, when the, Lord, when the world sees us out in our regular sphere of life, that they would see Christ because of our love for one another and our love for the lost. And I pray that as we continue to worship this morning, that you would be honored and glorified as we fix our eyes upon you through singing, through praying, and through the preaching of your word as we celebrate your wonderful grace. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. And would you please stand as we continue to, to savor and celebrate our glorious Christ.
the radiance of the Father before the dawn of time you spoke and all creation came to be the molecules and planets reveal your great design and everyone was made so we could see Greatest of all delights, your power is unequaled, your love beyond all heights, no greater sacrifice than when you lay down your life. We join the song of angels who praise you day and night, glorious Christ. And all will be made right when you appear. And all will be made right when you appear. You are the glorious Christ, the greatest of all delights. Your power is unequal. Your love beyond all heights, no greater sacrifice. And when you lay down your life, we join the song of angels who praise you day and night, glorious Christ. Maybe seated. 
Good morning, Newcastle. It's great to see you all here today, and welcome to the worship of Jesus. Before I forget, I will go ahead and dismiss children for Children's Church. So if you don't know, this is uh, these are kids that are uh, nursery through kindergarten age, and you can go to the back door, and they will be uh, taken care of from there. Well, it's been quite some time since we have enjoyed a new member reception here. And it's not that we have been uh, negligent in new member classes or in elder interviews. Uh, we just haven't fitted in. And, uh, but today we're going to. And we're going to introduce, I said in first service 25, it's 26 new members uh, today for you. And before we uh, make this introduction, I just want to take a minute to focus on a few of the reasons why we take membership so seriously here. Uh, Jesus taught us in John 13 that we are to love one another and that by loving one another, all people will know that we are his disciples. So all members here have professed faith in Jesus Christ and have been baptized accordingly. Uh, we all agree to submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible. The Word of God is the ultimate authority in our lives. And we all uh, recognize the importance of worshiping together, of praying for each other, for uh, generously uh, stewarding our time and our talents and our treasure as we spread the gospel here in our community. So the elders have met with all of these individuals, and we gladly uh, recommend to you that we receive them into our uh, membership. So we had quite a few of them in first service, uh, but we're going to go through all of the names. You'll see their uh, pictures up on the wall. So if you're in this service, when I uh, announce your name, would you please come forward? And uh, Pastor Kevin has some certificates for you. So Sid Asturias. Gabe and Katie Berkey, Steve Botorf, Andrew Hiles, Tyler and Jen Hubert, Sean and Teresa Lawson, Tessa Lehman, Sam McGarity, Bill and Gail Mayo, Scott and Christy O'Neill, Louis and Anna Riggenbach, Tyson and Candace Smith, Nathan Suter, Dwayne and Lori Schwarzendruber, Troy and Linda Teeter, Cindy Wallen, Jamar Williams. You're going to do this twice today, Jamar, aren't you? <laughs> Pretty dutiful of you. You only get one certificate, though, okay? All right, church, would you please uh, join us in uh, welcoming these new members into our Newcastle?
All right, I just ask that you stay up here, please, and I'll go ahead and, and uh, pray. Father, we're uh, so grateful today to gather as a local body of believers to praise and worship you through uh, song and meditation and prayer and fellowship. Your word teaches us that uh, as believers, we are to regularly meet together and uh, worship you all the more as the final days approach. We're so grateful to also recognize new members into our fellowship here today. We're thankful that each of these individuals uh, profess faith in you. They're eager to use the gifts that you've bestowed on them to uh, further a gospel ministry here, and we're so thankful for them. We just ask that you would help each of them to know that uh, they are a vital part of our church body, to know they are loved and regularly prayed for. We just ask that you would help us all to pursue a life of holiness that proclaims uh, your glory to a watching world. Our church prayer partner this week has been uh, Pekin, uh, Pekin Bible Church, and uh, we pray specifically for the various ministries uh, that go on each week there, just as we do ministries that take place here at Newcastle. They really focus on uh, children and teenage ministry. It's a vital part of their church today as they look to grow the church of tomorrow. And so we ask that you'd be with them as they uh, come alongside the parents and training up the youth in your word and growing their faith in Jesus. Just as we ask that you come alongside us here, Pastor Scott, and with all the volunteers and staff that minister to the children each week. We just ask that you'd continue to strengthen that ministry. We pray also uh, that you would draw more of their people into faith groups that meet each week during the Sunday school hour, just as we ask the same here for our adult discipleship classes. We ask that you would inspire and encourage uh, the teachers who seek to apply the, the words of Scripture in a practical way to equip the believers. We're thankful for the opportunity these classes uh, give us to grow in your word. We ask that you would strengthen uh, Pastor Chad Nightingale and the rest of their elders uh, as they lead and shepherd the church over in Pekin. Our prayer partners, or our go partners this week have been Dustin and Becca King, serving in Ecuador. Longtime uh, folks that we've prayed for, and they um, are specifically thankful this week, and we are too, that Pastor Lakito has been uh, declared cancer-free. We've prayed for uh, him many times, and we're so thankful for the good report, and we just ask for continued healing for him. We're also thankful for Patricio, who Dustin's been uh, studying the Bible with, that he's been re recently baptized. Thank you for his uh, public testimony of faith. We do pray for Dustin and Becca as they uh, set things in order in Ecuador, as they get ready to come stateside again later this uh, summer. Would you just uh, be with them as they make preparations for the trip back home? We also want to pray for our supported GO partners, A and J, in North Africa. And they've asked specifically for prayer for Brother uh, Nolan to be bold with his sister and for um, some college girls and a young sister to be able to, to meet with Jay next weekend. Would you just um, guide that meeting and prepare uh, Jay for it? We thank you for the ministry and we pray for A and J and their family that you would continue to strengthen them and uh, protect them, we pray. So now we just humbly ask that you continue uh, to bless our worship today. We ask that you would uh, guide Pastor Kevin as he teaches 
us from uh, Ephesians chapter 1 today, and we ask that this seed would fall on fertile soil and bear much fruit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you would, if you're able, please stand with us as we sing this song that is a prayer, and it's asking the Lord to help our hearts be soft to his word and receptive, and so that we might live it and obey it. Let's sing, Speak, O Lord.
Amen. Speak, O Lord, until your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. What a glorious thing to sing together. What a glorious prayer on the hearts of God's people for us today. Welcome to the worship of Jesus. We are so thrilled you're here. My heart is overflowing as I think about 25, 26 new members joining our family here and partnering with us for the glory of God by growing deeper and reaching farther at Newcastle Bible Church. What an amazing time to be part of this church family with all of you. I am just humbled and thankful for God's amazing grace in us. This church is God's building. It is God's doing, and he builds us through his word. And so now is the time when we open the word of God, and I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 as we continue our study of building up the body from Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand. We would love to give you a copy of God's word for you to take home even as our gift to you. Please, we desire for every one of us to be reading God's word daily for yourself that you might know God and his amazing grace. Open that Bible then to Ephesians. And remember, last week I taught you a mnemonic to help you remember the order of where Ephesians is in the New Testament. So General Electric Power Company reminds us of the order of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So open up to Ephesians chapter 1 in the New Testament. Last Sunday, I presented kind of an overview message of the entire book of Ephesians, and we summarized the main point of the six chapters this way, God has united us in his grace so that we might live in love together. And now today, I want to add an extra statement to the end of that, all for the praise of his glory. We need that last phrase because it is God's grace that has made us all one so that believers from every tribe and every language and every tongue and every people group can live together in love and unity and holiness all for the eternal fame of God's name. Last week, we started then by looking at the first two verses, the double-stuffed opening of Ephesians where Paul established his God-given authority. He identified his audience as those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And then he blessed them with the grace and peace that can only come from God our Father. So now we're moving into the rest of chapter 1. And the rest of chapter 1 contains one sentence and one prayer. Yes, you heard me right. Believe it or not, verses 3 to 14 is one long run-on sentence in the original Greek text. It's 202 Greek words long, and it just is gushing out this lavish grace of God to us in our salvation. It's like Paul gets carried away. He forgets to take a breath as he's recounting all of our spiritual blessings that we've been given in Christ So after verses 3 to 14, with this long sentence of all that we received in Christ, then Paul prays in verses 15 to 23 that we might actually know and understand the fullness of the richness of the grace of God to us in Christ. 
And by the way, I love that order because right doctrine should always lead us to prayer and thanksgiving and worship. A right understanding of the head knowledge of the gospel should move to the heart expression of worship so that we would never become puffed up in pride. So, Verses 3 to 14. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to dive into this. And they are so full, so packed full of God's grace that it's going to take us three sermons to get through this one biblical sentence. (laughs) So prepare to be encouraged because this grand recounting of God's grace contains some of the most comforting and precious truths that the believer could ever hear from our God. So I'm going to read the entire sentence, uh, 3 to 14, to set the context. And as I read, listen carefully for the phrase, to the praise of his glory. It actually is repeated three times in this sentence. And you'll notice this phrase actually concludes each section of thought as Paul is recounting the work of the Father, and then the work of the Son, and then the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. So verses three to six focus on how God the Father selects us for salvation to the praise of his glorious grace. And then verses seven to 12 focus on how God the Son sacrifices for our salvation to the praise of his glory. And then verses 13 to 14 reveal how God the Spirit seals us for salvation, to the praise of his glory. So all of our salvation from sin is the work of our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and it's all for the praise of his glory. So if you're able, please stand in honor of the public reading of God's word as I read from the ESV translation from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And thus concludes the reading of the longest sentence in scripture. You may be seated. Let's pray for God's help as we dive into this glorious text. Father, there is no God like you. And we've gathered to worship you. We've gathered to exalt your name. We've gathered to lift you up in our praise, in our prayers, in our singing, and now in the preaching of your word. We desire to lift you up because when we lift you up, you build us up. When we lift you up, we are satisfied. When we lift up the name of Jesus, Father, we see reality for what it truly is. For you are king, you are Lord, you reign and rule over all. But Father, we need you because we are weak and we are easily distracted. And we can take a text like this and we can twist it and turn it so easily so that we stand in judgment over it rather than letting your word rule and reign over us. So please, Father, I pray again, give us a spirit of humility and awe. Help us to see the beauty of your amazing grace that our hearts today might be moved to praise you and to thank you with awe and with wonder. We are your creation. We are your people. We are your church. So purify us now through your word. And together, God's people would say, amen. Well, this morning, I want you to think of the Apostle Paul as if he was a probate attorney. A probate attorney is a legal professional who meets with a family to assist them in the administration of the last will and testament of their family. So a probate attorney might meet with a family after the death of a loved one and explain to the family all the details of the inheritance that their loved one has left them. So just picture this now. Jesus has died and he's returned, he's rose again, he's returned to heaven. And now the Apostle Paul comes in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, to carefully describe for us everything that Jesus has left us as his church. This breathless sentence is a glorious description of our spiritual inheritance in Christ. Verse 3 is kind of like the category heading. It's kind of like the summary of the entire sentence. It's the executive summary where Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So here's the point of this entire sentence. We must praise God for all of the spiritual blessings that he has given us in Christ. Praise God, church. You are rich in Christ. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I know a few of you, but for most of you, I don't really know what's going on in your life but no matter what is going on in your life right now, you have legitimate reasons to praise God. 
For he has lavished immeasurable grace upon every person who's united with Christ. Every believer in Jesus has been spiritually blessed with more grace from God than you could ever dare to dream. So you say, well, but I'm embroiled in conflict right now. Or I'm sorely tempted to sin. Or I'm suffering deep pain and deep grief. Oh, loved one, wherever you're at, open your heart this morning to behold the glories of God's grace to you in Christ. Reorient your perspective with the immeasurable richness of God's grace to us in Christ. We must not forget all of God's benefits. For in Christ, we are the most blessed. All of our present suffering pales in comparison to the eternal glory that shall be revealed to us in that day when we are presented blameless in Christ. Oh yes, there's some mystery here in this text. I mean, as we get into this text today, whoo, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of mystery. Whenever we talk about God and his godness, we're not going to fully comprehend him. There's a lot of mystery to God's sovereign grace. But we must never allow our inability to fully comprehend the incomprehensible God to prevent us from praising him for what he has revealed clearly to us. Oh, our God, he is incomprehensible. He is marvelous. He's a God of wonders. He's a God whose ways are higher than our ways. But our God has revealed in Ephesians chapter 1 some of his plans, some of his purposes for us so that we might praise him, so that we might be in awe, so that our hearts might overflow with gratitude and joy. So Paul begins, verse 3, with a call to worship. That's kind of a weird way to start. You would think he would give us reasons to worship, but instead he just jumps right in because God deserves to be praised and worshiped. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed literally declares that God is worthy uh, to be spoken well of. He is worthy of our appreciation. He is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our praise. So no matter what difficult circumstances are going on in your life today, you ought and I ought to still praise God. For look at what it says. He says, our God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if God is the Father of Jesus... That means Jesus is God's son. But notice, Jesus is not just God's son. He's our Lord. He's our Christ. God's son is our personal savior and king. This is glorious. And then notice what Paul's first reason that he gives that for why we should praise God because God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God deserves to be worshiped for all the spiritual benefits which we receive in Christ. Have you ever thought about 
your spiritual benefit package? Like, have you ever thought about your eternal benefit package in Christ? God doesn't curse those who believe in Jesus. God instead gives them every spiritual blessing. Wow, did you see that word every? He doesn't just say lots of spiritual blessing. He says every spiritual blessing. Every kind of favor that comes from the Holy Spirit. So notice, he doesn't say that our blessings are material or earthly, but they're spiritual blessings, meaning they're supernatural, and they're in the heavenly places, not on earthly places. You see, for the Ephesians, they worshiped the goddess Artemis, or what the Romans called Diana, and Artemis ruled on the earth. She reigned on the earth. Her power was localized in the magnificent temple in Ephesus. But Paul is saying, oh, no, no, the believer in Jesus, the believer's blessings are from God's throne in the heavens, which we receive in Christ. Our blessings come from being supernaturally united with Jesus, who is even today in the heavens. So don't miss this, loved ones. When you trust in Jesus, God's Spirit supernaturally joins you with Jesus so that all that is Christ is now also yours. Isn't that glorious? Doesn't that radically change your perspective as you think about the suffering and the pressures in your life today? Oh, praise God. Seriously, praise God. Give him the worship and the honor that he is due. He has united you with his son. He has made his son your king and your savior. All that is Christ is now given to you. This is a glorious, marvelous, magnificent. We are far more rich in Christ than we'd ever dare to dream. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through verses 4 to 14 and unpack more of the specifics of all these spiritual blessings which are ours in Christ. First, today, we're just going to focus in mostly on verses 4 to 6, which reveal how every Christian has received the spiritual blessing of God's election. God the Father chose to save us. Look at the first part of verse 4. This is glorious. Even as God chose us in Christ. So the word chose there translates the Greek word for election. So God's election or God's choosing of sinners for salvation is just one expression of his eternal decree. It's it's one expression of his predestination. You see that word predestination in verse 5 and also in verse 11 of the text. You say, Kevin, predestination, I don't even know how many syllables that has. I can't spell it. What does it mean? Predestination simply means that God determines one's destiny beforehand. So one's destiny is determined beforehand by God. And in Ephesians, this word for choose or election and predestination, they're synonyms. They're basic synonyms together of God predestines or God elects or chooses us. 
So this then is the first of all spiritual blessings that God the Father chose to save us. The word chose is in the middle voice. It emphasizes that God chose us by himself and for himself, apart from any influence or any consideration outside of himself. And if you remember the sermon from two weeks ago on the sinfulness of sin, then then you'll say, well, yeah, actually, God choosing us for salvation, apart from any merit or loveliness of our own, actually makes biblical sense. Because two weeks ago, remember in our sermon on the sinfulness of sin, we learned that sin makes every human heart spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, spiritually unable. Sin makes us spiritually evil, and sin makes us spiritually dead. So while sin does not remove our biblical responsibility to love God and obey God and believe in God, no, we still have that responsibility, but sin does corrupt our desires so that no sinner will ever seek God. No sinner will ever want to be saved by Jesus. So then I want you to understand clearly what the Bible teaches. Listen up. I know this is a little heavy, but it's glorious. The Bible clearly teaches that every human being is made in the image of God and is therefore biblically responsible to believe in Jesus and to love and obey God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every human being who's created in God's image is responsible to obey God. Every human being is responsible to believe in Jesus for their salvation because there is no salvation from God's judgment against our sin apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And God is righteous and he is just to punish all those who refuse his salvation and send them to hell. So God, when God sends wicked sinners to hell, he is righteous and he is just because they have refused to believe in Jesus. They have rejected his offer of salvation. No one who goes to hell, or I should say it this way, everyone who is in hell is there because, everyone who's in hell is there because they willfully chose to reject Jesus. They chose to reject Jesus and not trust in him. And so therefore they are in hell and it is God's righteous judgment and justice that puts them there. And yet, what we learned about the blinding deception of sin is that every sinner will only ever want to choose evil. And no sinner will ever choose to trust God for salvation apart from God's initiative on his life first. So therefore, once you understand how indwelling sin makes it impossible for us to ever want to choose Jesus for our salvation. The real question with God's election is not why God hasn't chosen more. The real question with biblical election is, why would God ever choose anyone to be saved? For he's fully righteous and just to send all sinners who reject him to eternal punishment. 
So church, as we study this doctrine, we can praise God. We should praise God because of his amazing grace. It's a totally apart from our own deserving that God chose to save us. It's just like Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We did not choose Jesus, but Jesus first chose us and appointed us that we should go and bear fruit. Now, it's clear in Ephesians chapter 1 that God didn't choose us because of anything in us because verse 4 says that he chose to save us when? Look at the text. Before time began. Look at what verse 4 says. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Whoa. (laughs) So before there was ever an earth, before there was ever a human race, God determined in eternity past to choose you. Before you were ever conceived by your parents, before any good or evil had ever been done by you, God chose to set his love upon you for the praise of his glory. This blows our minds, doesn't it? But it's the clear teaching of the staggering grace of God in Scripture. For example, look at Matthew 25, verse 34, where Jesus is teaching, and he says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then you go to Revelation chapter 13 and also Revelation chapter 17 that speaks of the Lamb's book of life. And Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 reveals that God wrote the individual names of believers into the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. So then it is God's who chooses who will be saved before any sinner actually decides to trust in Christ themselves. This is just what Jesus taught in John chapter 6, verse 65, when he said, no one can come to Jesus unless it is granted him by the Father first. So God's choice for salvation is never based on man's choice. Man's choice to believe and be saved is the evidence that God has first chosen him from, the t- from before the beginning of time. I love John 6.37 because John 6.37 is a single verse that combines this glorious truth of God's sovereign grace in choosing us and man's responsibility to choose Christ for ourselves. John 6, 37, listen to it. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So there you see God's sovereignty. All that the Father gives will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, I love that. So sinner, come. Because if you come, you're bringing evidence that God has first called you and brought you to himself. Talk about spiritual blessings. God the Father chose to save us before time all to present us holy. Look at verse 4. It just keeps getting better. God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. So notice, God didn't choose anyone because they were already holy. God chose them in order to make them holy. God sovereignly and freely chooses to save a group of undeserving sinners like me and like you so that someday he could present all of us together before himself in the consecrated holy position of being without blemish. Now, don't miss this because as I was thinking about this this week, it moved me to great praise and, and celebration of God's grace because this is, this is what we're learning from this text. Before time began, when there was just the Father, Son, and Spirit in the perfect unity of their divine trinity, God planned to make a bride for his son. God planned, I'm going to redeem for myself a people. I'm going to make for myself a people. And I'm going to positionally make them one with Jesus in wedded bliss. And since Jesus is the spotless lamb without blemish, I'm going to make them holy and without blemish as well. It's just like Paul goes on to say in chapter 5 of this letter in verse 27, when Paul teaches that in eternity future, Jesus will present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the purpose of God's election for sinners. God's election of sinners is not fatalistic. It's not mechanical. It's not robotic. It's personal. It's purposeful. It's for our holiness. Some wrongly reject the doctrine of election, even though it's very clear in Scripture, because they say, well, that seems to negate the personal responsibility that Scripture calls Christians to take for their own growth in holiness. But in fact, church, it is the very election of God that makes the practical pursuit of holiness possible in our lives. First, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 clearly teaches that any spiritual growth in practical holiness is what's confirming our election. It's giving evidence to the fact that God has chose us for salvation when we do pursue spiritual holiness in our lives. Therefore, God's election is personal, it's purposeful, and it's motivated by his love. Oh, write this down in your notes. God's chose to save you, motivated by his love, just as, as the end of verse 4 says, in love he predestined us. So the motivation for God's election or his predetermination of our eternal destiny, the motivation for his predestination of us is his agape love. God the Father chose to save us out of love. There's nothing arbitrary or random about God's election. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says it clearly, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive in Christ. So what grace, what love. God chose to love the unlovely and save the undeserving. 
His love is as vast as the ocean. But loved ones, God's love for us, his choice to save us, his choice to save us is rooted in an even deeper love than his love for us. Look with me at the glories of John 17, verse 24. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer before the cross. And he says that God the Father loved him before the foundation of the world. So this is so rich when you understand this. Ultimately, it was the Father's love for the Son that caused him to purpose to create for himself a bride. It was God's love, the Father's love for the Son that says, I will make for him a people a redeemed people who will someday be wed in marital oneness with Jesus in all of eternity future. He was motivated by love. That's why he chose to save you. His love for his son, his love for you. I hope your heart is being moved to praise the grace of our God this morning. For God the Father chose to save us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world so that together we would be presented before him at that last day as a bride who's adorned in holy and spotless attire as an eternal love offering from the Father to the Son. And then just when we think that the Father's actions towards us in our salvation could not get any better, Verse 5 teaches us that God's loving choice to save us resulted in what? Resulted in our adoption. Look carefully at verse 5 again. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So clearly, God's prior determination of our destiny to be adopted was entirely according to his eternal purpose. It was according to his decision, not our decision. Verse 11 emphasizes this same point, making it clear that God chooses to do what he does all according to his own goodwill, according to his own good pleasure, not no one else's. But consider the glorious result of God's gracious predestination of sinners. They are now adopted. And this concept of adoption becomes even more rich when you understand it from a first century Roman perspective like the, the original audience would have understood it from Ephesians. You see, in first century Roman culture, a father had absolute power and authority over his household. He had absolute power over every family member in his family. He had absolute authority and power over all of the family's assets and every asset and possession that was owned by any of the family members. So Roman adoption was the legal process which completely released the adopted person from all the control of his first father and then gave the new father full control over the adopted person in order that this adopted person could further his new father's name. So don't miss this beautiful picture. Because of God's free and gracious predestination, believers 
who were formerly labeled sons of disobedience. Believers who were formerly labeled children of wrath. Believers who, according to the first part of Ephesians chapter 2, who were under the control of the prince of the power of the air, have now been transferred gloriously to a new family where they belong now under the control of a good father, of a father of grace, a father of kindness, a father who gives himself joyfully for the eternal good of his sons and daughters. Oh, church, the doctrine of predestination is clearly one of the most precious and comforting truths for the believer. Because when God chose to save us, it resulted in our heavenly adoption. And the power of Satan over us was broken. And now we mercifully belong to a brand new family with a brand new father, a father of love and grace and mercy who freely gives himself to us. Oh, make no mistake, loved ones. God took the initiative to predetermine our destiny as his adopted children. And he did it all through Jesus Christ because there's no way to the Father except through the Son and his sacrifice for us. So this is all done according to God's own pleasure, freely operating out of his own will to bring about the ultimate purpose of Accomplishing his own glory. Verse 6 concludes the initiative and action of God the Father, saying, All of God's election and predestination of sinners was to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. And of course, the beloved is a title for Jesus. God's blessings to us are all a result of our union with Jesus the most blessed and the most loved one. So here's the point of verse six, as simply as I can say it. All of the Father's actions in our salvation have the ultimate goal of causing believers to praise him for his amazing grace. God the Father chose to save sinners so that they would in turn glorify and praise him forever for his amazing grace. No wonder Paul calls us to praise and worship God the Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Salvation belongs to our God. How can we not praise God for all the spiritual lavish grace that he has poured out upon us? Now next week, we're going to turn our attention to verses 7 to 12 where we consider the son's sacrifices for our salvation, but just for now, we're going to push pause. And I want to just ask you, how are you responding? How, how do you respond to the doctrine of God's election and the, God, the, the godness of God in our salvation? How do you respond to the huge, magnificent, glorious majesty of the sovereign grace of our all-powerful God? Oh, I pray, I pray that Ephesians 1 would cause all of us to sincerely praise God for his sovereign grace to you. The doctrine of God's election and his predestination is not something that we should fear or despise, 
No, it is indeed a very precious comfort. It is a cause for praise when we realize that every part of our salvation, even before the first heartbeat of our own faith in Christ, was the sovereign grace of God to us, moving and drawing us to himself. So I want to simply offer four practical ways that we can respond to the doctrine of election today in, in order to fuel our praise to God. First, God's sovereign election of sinners means humility for the believer. After all, Christian, we didn't do anything more than anyone else in order to be saved. Our salvation is entirely the work of God. It's not our own doing. It is a gift of God's grace. This humbles us, right? This, this, this makes us think less of ourselves and more of our God. This is so radically God-centered. It offends pride, but it, oh, it brings humility and grace to the soul. It says 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 reminds us that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not. Why would God choose people like us who are really nothing in the big scheme of things? Next verse. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's because our Heavenly Father that we are united today in Christ's church. It's because of His work. So let the doctrine of God's election humble your pride and may we be a church family here at Newcastle Bible Church that never ever boast in ourselves, but may we always boast in Jesus. Second, not only does the doctrine of election humble the believer, but the doctrine of election brings real hope to the sinner. Oh, this is good news. If you are a caught in sin, if you are still not a Christian and you're wondering, oh, should I believe in Jesus or not? If you are still trying to clean up your own life only to keep failing time and time again, what you need is a God of sovereign grace. What you need is a God who determines before the beginning of time to break the power of sin and Satan over your soul and set you free. What you need is a God whose grace is stronger than your sin. You need to be welcomed into a brand new family, a family that is all a part of your own doing and ability. Oh, I love how the doctrine of God's election brings hope to sinners. And in fact, this is exactly what we see in Exodus chapter 33 with Moses. You might remember in Exodus chapter 33, in verse 3, God says, I'm no longer going to dwell with this people, the Israelites, because they are a stiff-necked, sinful people. Moses intercedes and says, God, don't do that for the sake of your glory. God says, okay, I will come back and go with my sinful people again. But then Moses asks, he says, well, what will give me the assurance that you can dwell together with the sinful people? 
What hope is there for the sinner to ever dwell together with you in all of your holiness? And God's answer in verse 19 is by saying, the hope for the sinner is that my name is Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Translation, the sinner's only hope for living together with the holy God is God's sovereign grace. Our hope to dwell together with God and not be consumed is that God himself would choose us. God himself would show mercy to us. God himself would shower us with his grace. God's election and predestination gives hope to sinners that they can be saved and that they can indeed persevere in faithfulness to Christ all the way to the end. So the doctrine of election never keeps sinners from salvation. That is so important, I'm going to say it again. The doctrine of election never keeps sinners from salvation. In fact, it's the opposite. The only reason anyone has any desire to be saved at all is because of the amazing grace of God's sovereign predestination and electing mercies. Remember, if I'm talking to anybody who's not a Christian this morning, listen to me, please. Remember John 6, 37. Whoever comes to Jesus, he will never cast out. So allow this glorious doctrine of God's election to give you hope, sinner, so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will indeed accept you and welcome you and adopt you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Third, the doctrine of election offers powerful help. Not only humility and hope, but help. Help for our witness. After all, since no amount of human persuasion or apologetic evidence could ever convince a sinner to trust in Jesus, then all of our disciple-making efforts depend wholly on God's sovereign grace, right? It's just as 1 Corinthians chapter 3 teaches, only God gives the growth. We plant, we water, but God gives the growth. Only the Spirit can give life. So the doctrine of election is actually what inspires the church's prayers. The doctrine of election is actually what moves us to evangelize. We believe that God has many people yet in our city and in our central Illinois region here. We believe that God has many people yet in this world who still need to be saved And we know that God is well pleased to use our prayers and our witnessing as the means to reveal who has been predestined for adoption from before time began. So it is the doctrine of election that fuels and helps our witness because God ordains both the ends and the means. And we are privileged, church, to be part of God's ordained means by which he will bring about his ultimate end so that God is glorified to use our prayers and our evangelism in order to show the world who he has chose for salvation from before time began. Finally, to use a 4-H outline, I had to end it with another H since we had something going. The doctrine of God's election brings homage. In other words, worship, praise to God's grace. God is God. 
He rules and reigns over all. He's not like us. He is the hero of history. Every good gift is from him. This is just what Romans 11 concludes. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to God that God might be repaid? Oh, no, 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 no. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, we have every reason to praise God for his sovereign grace. God the Father chose to save us. He gave us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So may we be moved to humility and hope. May we be helped in our mission and may we be overwhelmed by praise and thanksgiving as we live together for the praise of God's glory here. Let's pray. So Father, we do want to thank you right now. I wish I had words. Thank you. We didn't deserve your love. We didn't deserve your adoption. We didn't deserve to belong in your family, and yet you have. So glory to the Lord. Praise to you. Worthy are you to receive power and honor and wealth and wisdom and might from now and through all ages. Oh, Father, I can't wait until your church will be gathered together in that glorious assembly that Revelation describes where we will together join in a chorus of praise. For you are worthy of all of our thanksgiving and all of our worship and all of our adoration. Oh God, I pray that you'd forgive us for trying to wrestle with all the things about you that we don't understand. It's, it's good to ask questions, nothing wrong with that. But, but Father, I pray that you would cause us to know and understand the fullness of the richness of the glory of God that you've poured out upon us through your Son. Oh, Father, we are far richer. Our benefit package is far better than we ever dared to dream. So help us to live in light of that reality, all for the glory of your name. And God's people would say, amen. What is there left to do after that other than to boast in the cross of Christ alone, not in ourselves not in anything we have done, but in the Lord Jesus. So would you please stand and let's, let this room resound with the anthem, All Glory Be to Christ.
ashes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. a beautiful word. It's one of my favorite words in all the English language. It means weight, light, brilliance, significance, importance. It's beauty. So when we're saying all glory be to Christ, we're saying may all the attention be turned to Jesus. May all the shining and the radiance and the brilliance be reflected back to him.
May see people see him as significant and as worthy and as important as he truly is because Christ is our life. Christ is the definition of all that is good. He is the essence of beauty. Oh, love him, love him, worship him, serve him, praise him, church. It is so good to praise Jesus with you together. Well, today we have a very special privilege, and so we not only got to receive 26 members into our fellowship today, but if you are in this service and you're one of our new members, I want to invite you to go to the back of the room right now. You can just get your things and form a reception line in the back, because as we go through and leave, your church family just wants to welcome you and thank you for being a part of our members. So if our new members can go to the back and just form a line for a reception line here, and then... Special reminder that we provided lunch for you today. So you are all invited to the intersection immediately following this service. And we're going to have a wonderful lunch together celebrating our graduates. And so you can all come and just join with us. Even if you didn't sign up, it's okay. We plan for a few extra. So come and join us. And we're going to celebrate our graduates here in our church family and just have a wonderful time of fellowship and celebration together in the intersection building immediately following this service, okay? So let's pray our benediction as we go out. Remember, our benediction comes from the end of chapter 3. So let's pray it together now out loud. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. And all those who are chosen by God for salvation would say, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.